Okay, very excited to be back here in studio with uh, Mike Craig from Alaska Pipeline. How are you doing? I am doing great and happy to be here. We were talking before we started, and I'm really excited to, to talk to you about some of your pipeline stories in, in Alaska. I'll tell the ones I can. There's probably a lot of ones you can't tell, right? I, there, are, there are a couple, yes. Um, so before we get into that, let's kind of talk about there's the 45th anniversary of the pipeline coming up. And it was really only supposed to last, I think, like 20 years, right? Yeah, I think 20 years tops. And here we are doing 45 and looking for 40 more. And there's still a lot of, I mean, there's a lot less oil than in the, in the 80s. There was 2 million. Now we're at about half of, half, you know, 500,000. But there's a lot of prospect, if we can ever get it going, like Pika and Willow and these things, there could be, you know, a lot, you know, like you said, another 40 years maybe. Yep. We keep hearing there's substantial amounts and we keep waiting for it to happen. I mean, it's there. We just can't seem yep. to, we can't seem to get it. Yep. Um, so before we get into the, the LAS, so you have an interesting history. We were talking about before you, you were actually in Valdez kind of when they were building the pipeline, right? Well, uh, just before that, uh, we, we got there in about 72. Uh, my dad was with the National Weather Service, and he had to set up the very first weather station, which apparently there wasn't one in Valdez, strangely enough, but it was one of the prerequisites or requirements for it. And uh, when we left, it was just starting. I mean, the pipe had been rolling in, uh, but the boom town kind of atmosphere was starting to strike, and my dad said, nope, we're not, not going to raise my family here. So we uh, went back to Glen Allen, which where we had been in the first place. I was telling you about the Joe McGinnis book, Going to Extremes, and there's a whole chapter about Valdez when he was there, when the oil started flowing, and he just wrote this whole, these crazy stories about, like, like women and guns and drugs and, and travel agencies and, and, like, a wet oil t-shirt contest, and he, <laughs> there's a whole chapter just called Valdez. Yeah, well, I was in sixth and seventh grade, so if I was involved in that, <laughs> there'd be a problem. I do remember, by the way, like, we were renting uh, a five-bedroom house for $350 a month, and when we left and the pipeline hit... Uh, they were renting that same house out for $90 per room per day. So they were getting $450 a day out of the house we were renting for $350 a month. Wow, wait, $350 a month. and to then $450 a day. So in the book, um, this going to extremes, this, this guy, I forget his name, but he's like, the, he was a travel agent. And, and back then he just basically did all the, all the travel, all the bookings for all the pipeline workers. And they didn't want to go to Hawaii, they want to go to Asia, they went wherever they were going and and he interviewed the guy, and, and his whole thing was he wanted to, like, his plan was to make enough money in a couple, you know, two or three years so he could go abroad. And I think he was trying to do something in, in the Middle East with the oil companies, but it was just totally, yeah. it kind of sounded really off off the rails. And if you're talking about 350 a month to 450 a day, I mean, there, think about the money. There was money to be had, no question about it. So then you went back after that to, Glen, you were in Glen Allen. Yes, in Glen Allen. Which is, whenever I think, think of Glen Allen, I, I got a speeding ticket when I was... <laughs> Moved here in 04, it was probably 09. I was driving yeah. a friend's car to Canada. Yeah. And I was, you know, the hill. Got, oh, I he, know the hill. He got me. I know the hill. I yes. didn't even deny it. I said, you know what? You you got me, officer. I know the hill. They know exactly where to be. There's a little small town, but they generally have around four troopers in there at any given time. There's a lot of space they have to cover, but uh, Glen Allen is the nucleus, so they generally now, hang out there. Now, Glen Allen, I've been there in the winter. I mean, this place gets cold. It's sometimes. brutal. Yeah. And really? when you were growing up there, you must, it was probably even, I assume, colder? Uh, I would always say that it was. You know, we were definitely experienced, you know, 50 below, 55 below, that sort of thing. And I think school even, you know, was in play until 50 below. Um, I remember walking to the bus stop with, like, a letterman's jacket and tennis shoes, no hat. I mean, you're just a kid. You don't know any better. But it was, it was super cold, yes. And Glen Allen has, in that, in that whole region, there's a lot of recluses or people who want to just get off the grid, right, and just 
live in a cabin or they, they don't want to be maybe bothered? They like to be, you know, independent. Let's just go there. Yeah. <laughs> and you, I mean, assume you see some, some of those people in town sometimes, maybe they're a little... Uh, you know, People there at Glen Allen, they're super good people. And I actually still have family in Glen Allen. And my wife's from a little small town called Chistachina, which is on the Toke Road about an hour north of there. Uh, so we have lots of relatives that are in and out of that town. So I would say all of them are pretty pretty normal folks from that perspective. So you graduated in? 79 from Glen Allen High School, yeah. And then- I saw that you had Jim Cockerell on. Oh, yeah, uh, I did. Some time ago, uh, he and I graduated from the same school. He was a year older than I was, and we were good friends and played basketball and that sort of stuff in, in high school. So oh, yeah, yeah, he, he didn't mention me when he was at the... He, I see. <laughs> Next time I see him, I'll, I'll mention please, you. Please, please do. I, I think he got kind of um, a little annoyed with me. I, I We're talking about it, and I said, you know, the, the best thing ever was the Alaska State Trooper show. And I go, what the hell happened? Who, why'd they cancel that? And he goes, I canceled it. Uh, and I go, oh, shit, oh Yeah. And then he explained it was kind of becoming a distraction and... We talked about it, but I said, oh, yeah. geez, whoops. Yeah. Because you, you ever watched that? Oh, I have watched it several times, yes. I mean, the Glenn Allen. It was entertaining. It was a great show. Yes. So, so he also said that, I said, it must have been a really good recruiting tool. I mean, and he says, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we got a lot of applicants. Not a lot of good ones. <laughs> Not the ones you can keep, so, yeah. <laughs> so so you, now you started working on the pipeline in the early 80s, right? Yeah, 83. So when I was in high school, I was pumping gas at one of the local gas stations and the pipeline was going. They were building, you know, the pipeline. There was a construction camp right in Glen Allen, in fact, and they'd pop in for gas and tires. And I think, oh my gosh, I must get one of these jobs. I mean, I have to get one of these jobs. And it took a while, but I finally did. So I got on in 83 and it was just a little summer program. In fact, the guy who hired me said, uh, hey, you're just going to do this for four weeks. And when it's over, you, you're you done. So make your money and go home. And this so, was, these were I some really, really good paying jobs, right? Um, you know, for me, it certainly was because I'd been pumping gas, right? So I was doing like a, it's a summer program for kids, for college kids uh, at a surplus camp. So they were selling off some of the old construction camps. And uh, I got, was there for four weeks and then nobody came to stop me. So I'm in the middle of nowhere. We're at a Dietrich River camp, which is north of Pump Station 5, north of Coldfoot. And uh, five weeks go by, six weeks, seven, eight, nine. And a supervisor stopped by and said, hey, how's it going? I said, it's going well, but, you know. Wait, so like, you, you just keep working? Just kept working. Were you in a camp or something? Or? Yeah, we were staying at Coldfoot and staying in like some, you know, ETCO unit type barracks. What happened to the guy who hired you? Um, he never called, never said <laughs> boo. In <laughs> fact, the supervisor who said, uh, well, hey, what, what's your story? So I told him, he goes, well, I'll tell you, I'll figure it out. So the next day he comes back and said, when you leave today, drive all the way down to Fairbanks and uh, get on the crew change plane and go home. So I said, well, go home such as I'm not coming back. And he said, nobody told me to tell you not to. So in two weeks, come back. So Kind of, no one's supposed to know I'm still working on the pipeline. So, were you, so. where were you living then? Glen Allen? In Glen Allen, yeah. Were you going to college? Yep, I was going to UA at the time, yep. So, this was like a summer thing? Yep, it was all it was supposed to be, yeah. But you stayed on for 39 years. Did you ever meet the guy who hired you? Oh, yeah, yeah he's a super good guy. He was uh, actually an ex-state trooper from, you know, Glen Allen. He did shake his head at me. He said, look... You, I told you, make your money and get out. Like the oil industry is not where you want to be with all the fluctuations and the peaks and the valleys and all this sort of stuff. He said, you, you shouldn't stay. And I said, well, I'm having a good time. So, so when you left, you took what, two weeks off or? Yeah, two weeks off and then came back and you know, the schedules could be anywhere. They were scheduled to be four weeks on and two weeks off at that time because it was only supposed to be a summer job. Uh, but you could work, you know, several weeks in a row. I met people at the pump stations that were doing six months you know, in a row. And I asked the guy, wow, how could you stay here that long? And he said, well, I have two, I'm divorced twice and two kids in college. So I said, oh, makes sense. So yeah, I used to work for briefly a company, GBR. Oh. Um, they do casing uh, and that was in 2018, but we'd go to the slope. I worked in Anchorage, but 
there'd be guys up there sometimes, even now, that would be up there for three or four months. Oh yeah, and yeah. You just say that you know they can keep working and they're they're, they're they get they have good food and yep. It's a tough life. I mean, it's not for me. I I ended up in Valdez because I wanted to be home, but thank goodness there's people that, you know, want to work those remote Mm -hmm. jobs because, I mean, we need them. You know, it just wasn't for me. So did you keep going to college or did you stop going to school? After I started engaging with Alieska, like I, after that summer, I got hired on right away by that security company at the headquarters in Anchorage and uh, never, never went back. So I got through three years and then never had to do it again. I mean, over the course of the next 30 years, I thought, yeah, I should probably pull this off. But man, this... The Eliasco job has been so great. Uh, that's like so what time you, went by. What did you start? So you were doing this camp work, but then yep. now you had a whole other job when you started. Yeah. So the camp job was actually, even though it was an Eliasco, you know, kind of a college kind of a thing, it was through the security company at the time. So when I was done with that summer, I got hired by the security, well, actually retained by the security company and ended up in the headquarters buildings. Off of the, at that time, they were in Braga. So that was 80 before 85, 86. And then from that point on, I got hired um, to work in Valdez at the Valdez Marine Terminal for the same security company. And so then I just started working there for like 20 years before moving back to Anchorage. So at that point, that's, when did the big recession kind of, that was mid 80s, like 85, 86, I guess. Yeah, or maybe even been a little bit later, but somewhere in that time, yeah. I know that that, um, there's a story of Cooper with the famous quote, he won and and then he had all these campaign things Uh, and then he said, all bets are off. Yeah. Everybody said, wait a minute, what? And then yeah. he kind of, he's kind of a forgettable governor. Most yeah. people don't even think of him when they you think of Hickel and Hammond and you think of Noel, but yeah. like Cooper has just like this four year. It didn't come to Sheffield. me when you first said his name though. No. Yeah. He's, he's, he's still alive actually. Yeah. He's in Texas. I Is think. he I've, really? I've been trying to get a hold of him yeah. for, a, for a podcast. Yeah. And oil was flowing heavy at that time. You know, like 1988, I think give or take was the peak of 2 million. So, I mean, I don't think any more us were thinking about a recession. So, so now it's half a million. Um, yeah, 500,000, half a million. Yep. It was 2 million. And I don't know how on the technical side you are, but because there's, when there's more oil, it's, it flows easier, right? There's, there's less, you have to, when it's less oil, you have to, you have to, um, I guess pump it through or these pump stations. There's, yep. there's more uh, pressure required. Yep. And you're right. I'm not in the technical side, but one of the biggest factors of that low flow is around heat. So if you have 2 million barrels a day coming out of the ground at, you know, 80, 90, 100 degrees, they actually retains that heat longer because there's filling up the whole volume. So when it's at 500,000, there's less. So the the uh, temperatures affect it a lot more. So when this recession thing happened, how much did it affect? I mean, I assume Alaska maybe wasn't as, as affected as um, the co- oil companies themselves because, you know, the pipeline has to be there. It has to be up. up, up. You know, who It's it's. BP, Exxon, Conoco, and then there's some other like minority. There's some smaller companies, right? Uh, no longer BP is no longer uh, involved in the ownership. Uh, Hillcorp, you know, has their percentage, and then primarily it's Exxon Mobil and ConocoPhillips. It used to have uh, a wider variety of owners, but we're down to primarily those three. Okay, I think didn't Chevron used to have a little piece of it? I think there's a piece there. So, so when this recession thing happened, what, what did it, I mean, how much did it affect? I know the whole economy was affected mm. in Alaska. Was did it affect Alaska? I certainly don't recall that. You know, so working in uh, Valdez starting in '86, the tankers that were coming in, you know, to take oil down to lower 48, and I think even some were going overseas at the time. Uh, they were coming in, you know, two, three, four a day. I mean, it was very common for all four bursts at the Valdez Marine Terminal to be loaded all at once. Uh-huh. It was, I mean, there's people moving in and out. I don't remember feeling like there's some sort of issue. Um, 
economically. I didn't really remember, don't remember feeling that way. So your, your job was in security? It, yep. I started out in a contract security. So I was a security officer, you know, basically working at gates, that sort of thing, and then got promoted up through the system. And in 1997, Alieska had uh, one of a, a reorganization. There's been a few over the years, and this one was to decentralize. So the communication from our company was there's going to be some disappointments and there's going to be some um, benefits. And mine was, you know, uh, one of the good ones. I actually got hired at that time, uh, right to stay in Valdez and uh, started working directly for Alieska in '97. That was still in the security role. Still in security role, but then at the corporate, you know, security level. So you're over. You know, not only the whole top security program, but the security contractor. I mean, all kinds. There's so many really cool things that you end up getting involved in from that perspective. It was really worthwhile. So one of the things I think of when I hear security, it was probably a long time ago, but I remember, didn't somebody shoot the pipeline? It did. I mean, this is maybe a decade ago or something. Yeah, actually a little longer than that. It was shortly after 9-11 that it happened. And uh, it was a, it was certainly a strange time because at that time, no one, I mean, everybody was really on edge, you mm-hmm. know, about, you know, terrorism and all that sort of thing. So initially when it was shot, fortunately there was an overflight being, uh, that was going on with the security company with a helicopter observer and that sort of thing. And they were able to, you know, find the guy who was a local person on a four wheeler, uh, found him pretty quickly. So it took the edge off pretty fast. And what, what was his deal? Was he just being stupid or? Um, he was somewhat impaired and, you know, they, their family had lived on the property or on that land for quite some time. And I think it was just one of those moments when he just didn't feel as connected, if you will, to the mm-hmm. pipeline as he would have otherwise. So. I remember reading that and I was like, wow, this is, this is wild. Uh, what what about, so, I mean, the pipeline is a very critical, maybe one of the, the more critical pieces of infrastructure in the country. And this, you know, you can drive, you can drive by it, up right. Fairbanks and it's, yep. so, so, I mean, I, you probably can't go into like the specifics, but I right. mean, there probably is a lot of, um, concern of security for, there I mean, there's, there's huge amounts of money and oil flowing every day. Yep, there is. And so what we do is protect the, like we have a, you know, criticality review of, you know, the whole system being one thing and then many components breaking them down into, you know, that where should we apply the, the best or the most resources? And that's how we decide how to do it. But you think about it, you know, the security company or whether it's, you know, Alaska corporate security or just Alaska people in general, the security uh, focus or the security protection is really everybody in the state. I mean, everybody benefits this from this. So there's communities up and down that are adjacent right to the pipeline. We have good relationships with them. So if they see things, they let us know. Um, it isn't just about, you know, the uh, the uniform guards and guns and gates, that sort of thing. It's really everybody, you know, uh, playing a role. And that's how you're successful. It's the only way you're going to be successful. Now with 45 years coming up here and it was only supposed to last 20, what, what um, how much work has to go into the pipeline now is it, I mean is it going to last I mean is it going to last a lot longer the way the way it's built or is there is there work work having to happen to to make sure it- certainly more maintenance um, but from all the work that we're putting in and the uh, the commitments you know from the owners and that sort of thing uh, we we look to see it running for you know quite some time what's one of the I mean in the security part what's one of the wildest story did you ever come up with anything where like wow this is we have to deal with this or yeah I you had about there's there's a few wild ones, but one of the things that strikes me that was super funny. Like in, one of the things we did was we did a lot of drills with the military and law enforcement, that sort of thing. And there used to be these exercises called Northern Edge, and they would actually bring like a battalion, you know, level, you know, group of military people and protect the terminal. And there would be this overarching kind of um, scenario that they were, you know, having to guard against. So this one particular time is late '80s. 
they had uh, the scenario was there was going to be these incoming you know terrorists. We didn't know how they were coming in, whether it was by land or air or water. Didn't know any of that whatsoever, and uh, we were taking a you know kind of a subservient role to the military because it was really their thing. The scenario was that there was this big thing that was going to happen, right? So there was you know, little squads of people at each, at the, at the, um, uh, births at the powerhouse, the different facilities in, in the terminal. And then they would take this, I think they're called them SUSVs, which is essentially just a transport vehicle. And it would take them like an hour or so to pick up, you know, all the, all the positions and then take them out to the bivouac site so they could sleep. Well, since they were trying to mirror a war, you had to be four hours on and two hours off. So the people that were only getting an hour off because they weren't getting out to the sleep site, uh, they were starting to get, you know, pretty well, you know, rummied up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember, you know, hearing on the radio that there was a medic needed at one of the births. So they brought in, you know, this, um, uh, this person, and it turns out she had just put in a um, belly button ring and it had gotten infected. Uh, Wow. Oh, geez. What kind of military do we have? If That's (laughs) the injury that we're doing here. So anyway, we ended up uh, being successful in that. And I think it was more around that the guys were skiing in, like the bad guys who are actually, by the way, Navy SEALs, they just got, I think at some point, I mean, Valdez is really tough with the deep snow and that sort of thing. And they were basically skiing in from somewhere around Thompson Pass. So by the time they got there, instead of staying in trails and that sort of thing, they were running out of time. So they actually started skiing on the roads and a local person saw them and called back to our, to the dispatch, the actually security dispatch says, Hey, I just saw like five guys in white camo gear, you know, on the road, just thought I'd let you know. So we passed it on to the military and the military said, Oh, they wouldn't come in that way. And we're like, well, I don't, I know this person who called, I don't think they're going to call just to say that. So grudgingly they sent out a unit and sure enough, they were able to, you know, catch the guys. So it's like a war game. Yeah, it was a war game. Almost sounds like a kind of like a, a red dawn. It was, it was fun. I mean, all those things were fun, you know, because we weren't playing the primary role. We were basically just watching it all and supporting it. And, you know, it was good. It was a good time. So there was this earthquake in 2018, but I mean, the pipeline goes through some very um, seismic, you know, regions. Now it's on, it's on sliders, right? Yeah. There's, there's all kinds of mechanisms built into the pipeline to absorb you know, that kind of movement from a pretty substantial earthquake. I mean, the, the folks who built it, the engineering for it, uh, is just, it's incredible. And then that was a great testament, you know, to the stability of it. Was there any, I don't recall hearing anything, was there any damage in 2018 with the earthquake or did not really affect Not it? to the actual pipe itself. I mean, there was, uh, there's these vertical support members that it rides on so that it can, you know, slide back and forth and that sort of thing. And there's a few of those that had some damage, but I don't recall there being anything substantial. I mean, it really rode out that, that energy pretty well. So you've been there what, almost 40, I mean, 30, 30, 39 years. Yeah. Just 39 years this May. That's so rare these days where people have just one, you know, nowadays everybody has Five, six, set whatever yeah. jobs in a in a career. Yeah, you would think so, but Alieska being such a great company, and probably because they pay well, there's people that are there. I'm pretty sure 47. Uh, there's a guy there right now that I think is looking to get to 50 years. Many people are at uh, 30. Um, somebody, so a, a friend of mine is just leaving now uh, this next month, and he had 40 years in. And since you've been around these guys for so long, it doesn't feel like it's that long. I mean, it just feels like they're your friends, they're your neighbors, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, I think in Alias, the Alaska world, you'll find people stay uh, much longer. And, the, and I have some friends that have worked there over the years, and like you said, the pay, really good pay. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think the, the pay, the benefits, the, I mean, and just the environment, you know, f- to work in it, uh, it just makes you want to be there. So I, I, I totally enjoy it. 
So what's your, are you going to keep working for a while or what's? I, you know, yes. So if I put in another five years, don't tell my wife this, by the way, then she might listen, I'll though. get to 30. And I was thinking about retiring at 65, but that'd be 29. And it just doesn't feel like, I mean, it doesn't sound as good. So you got to get that 30. If Alias go keep me, I'm going to do 30. Yes. So, so what do you see now? We talked earlier about, you know, Pika and Willow and some of these other um, fields for production. If, if things keep going, if things do go that way and we get more oil production, where, where do you, where do you see things in the next 20, 30, 40 years? I mean, if, if there's more oil in the pipeline. Well, that's a, that's a big look. And, you know, as all these things are coming on, there's also oil going out, right? So at some point it just creates more of a balance. So even at 500,000, um, it's really been more oil coming in, but also, you know, there's been oil going out. So I don't know that I'd venture to say, you know, what that's going to look like in the future. It may stay static around 500, you know, longer than we would have otherwise thought, uh, depending on the fields and when they come in. And there's just so many variables involved in that. Um, but yeah, either way, we're going to make sure this pipeline runs and runs safely. I mean, the oil price now at 125, mm -hmm. it's obviously we've seen that before and it, it, do, it does go down, up and down. Mm -hmm. But, you know, my feeling is if, if it does just it's been that way since early in the year and we're in you know we're in june now if it does sustain that hundred dollar plus level up until next year it's not only gonna have impacts on the budget but um there's gonna be probably a big push now we see what's happening in russia and mm. you know the oil you know demand global demand and supply there, there you know there could be if this price stays where it's at for the for the next couple of years it could, it could be could be a, a big a great thing for Alaska and for the pipeline. It certainly could be. You just have to remember there is cycles of all of this stuff. So, you know, we're where are we at now, but um, oh, like middle of COVID, we were at zero. Yeah, so it was super it was, unheard it was, of. It was negative. I think, yeah. For and, you know, before that, I mean, as I remember growing up in this industry, I mean, it was down to 10, 15. It's been up to 150. I mean, it's just the range. And I think, remember, I was telling you about the guy who hired me and said to get out. Mm -hmm. I think that's what he's talking about. I mean, the fluctuation is just there's so many factors that, in, that come into play, and you just don't know where you're going to be from one day, one month, one year to the next. So the, the, we just the, do what we can. The, the, the economy and, and, and the oil industry itself, the prices, obviously has, has an impact on the, on the industry, but LES is a little bit unique because no matter what they have to, the pipeline has to operate. It does. So it doesn't, I mean, the price of oil doesn't, I assume doesn't affect LES as much as it affects the oil companies. Well, since we're owned by the oil companies, everything affects everybody, right? So, you but, know. but they have to keep, I mean, they have to keep, they can't cut back on pipe. I mean, they can cut back on other things, but they really can't cut back on the, on the pipeline. We make sure that they understand what the priorities are to keep, you know, because the operation of it is one thing. The maintenance of it is another. I mean, there's there all these things come together to uh, to keep that oil, you know, moving. And so our job is to make sure that the owners do know what do we need and when do we need it and that sort of thing. And then that plays out way above me, Jeff. What, what about, I don't know how much you know about this, but I know there's always been a fight over the tariff. Isn't that a big, big kind of how much you, the tariff is for the companies. And that's, there's been court cases that have, yeah. that have gone all the way to the, the big courts on that. It's a complexity that I stay out of. That's more of the, yeah, it's not this. <laughs> <laughs> for certain. Yes. That's like, it's real crazy. They got, they got to call you in to, to, to break up the, that, yeah, break up the fight. Something like that. Yeah. So, so it's just pretty incredible to me that you've been there for so long. Like yeah. I said, most people don't keep jobs anymore for that long. Yeah. And, and I mean, how many people work? It's, it's hundreds. I think from the Alaska side of things, we're just over 700, give or take. And then we generally have somewhere around, say, 1,500 or so contractors. And it also fluctuates depending on projects and that sort of thing. But generally, that's where the numbers are now. Well, it's just an incredible story, especially your, your kind of connection to Alaska. And I assume a lot of people 
especially back then that were coming yeah. up here, were coming up from all over the country. You know, yeah. there, were, there were just so many stories, but you were yeah. here and then I just love that you just kept working. Yeah, uh, I love it. And you just make lifelong friends. So when you mentioned people coming from up, you know, outside, we ended up, you know, in Valdez, of course. And, you know, very, very, very good friends from Michigan, Colorado, I mean, all over the place. And they maybe generally stay as well. So once you get here, there's that connection Mm -hmm. that you just, you know, can't leave. I mean, you raise your kids. I mean, you just the whole family, the fiber of it, you know, uh, just starts to get intertwined. And you just it's it's a really wonderful thing. Are there some big uh, big parties planned or some celebrations for this? 45th year deal? There is. You know, we don't uh, party necessarily like we used to back in the day, uh, but uh, don't miss an opportunity to celebrate, you know, things like this. So there will definitely be one. You got Actually re- in several places. You have to read that Joe McGinnis book, I'm telling you. Read, I'll just, do if anything, that. Yes. Just read the Valdez chapter. Yeah, just the Valdez chapter. I'll do that. It's, or maybe I'll listen to stories that my uncles will tell because they were in Valdez at the time and I was just too young to hear them. So. Maybe, maybe they want to come on the podcast. They, maybe. They probably, they probably yeah. got some good ones. Maybe. Well, Mike, it's been great talking to you. I really enjoyed Thank it. You. I mean, fascinating history. Yeah. And um, I think that anybody who's lived here for any amount of time knows about Alaska Pipeline. It's yep. kind of ubiquitous in the, in, the, in the culture. So thanks for your contribution. And I really enjoyed chatting with you. I appreciate it very much. If you guys are doing any big 45th year parties, you just, you just let me know where to go, okay? I will mention that I'll, to the I'll, people that can control that. I'll yes. crash. Yeah. <laughs> well, now I know the security guy. Yeah. So I, I should be able well, to Well, I'm not in security anymore. Like, I did transition out of it. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I think I still have connections. So. Yeah, we, we didn't talk about that. So what, you went to kind of the operations side? Yeah, so I'm now in what's called the business practice office. And my job in that is kind of like I think what most people would see as like an ombudsman. So if there's issues that either our employees are having, either interpersonal conflict or maybe even with Alieska, you know, such as procedures or that sort of thing, then I'm the one who looks into determining what kind of side that lands on. Um, and that's what I've been doing the last few years. And that's really been rewarding, too, strangely enough. That but. sounds like it could be like almost like an episode of The Office. Like, Daryl stole my pen. Yeah. Like It's an important <laughs> part. It's an important part of what we do. So uh, I think it's great that Alieska, you know, invests in that sort of resource, you know, for the people. And, um, yep, it's just a great job. And that was, you've been doing that for how long? Six years. Yep. Very, very different than the security side, I imagine. Yeah, it, there's some similar, like the basis for what I did, you know, like investigations, that sort of thing, you know, helped me, you know, be able to, you know, just initiate that same type of structure, you know, here. But you're really, it's really one-on-one with people. It's really, you know, listening and that sort of thing. So there is a, there is somewhat of a difference, um, but I, it did help me prepare for it pretty well. Well, Mike, it was great talking to you. I really enjoyed the, the stories. And the I did as well. And, Thank you. And, um, you know, I, I hope, hope, hope you get 45 more at least out of that, out of that, out of that sucker. Uh, I'll do five, but I don't want to be selfish. So I hope it goes longer. Yes. Well, thanks again for talking, Mike. And I appreciate that. And, and, and I want to thank Michelle for setting, Michelle Egan for setting up the podcast. So yep. thank thanks you again. Good luck to you. And uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. Yep. Thank you much. Yeah, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or, or want to do a podcast with, with me, uh, get a hold of me for, for the next one. Land,